Good morning once again. It is great to be with you here today in worship back with you. Uh, I was blessed last week to hear Pastor Erica's sermon here in person and two weeks ago to listen to Steve Fainer's message online, but I have to admit, I like being here in the pulpit. So uh, it's great to be with you today. I want to say hi to those who are worshiping with us at home, those on Facebook Live and YouTube. We're glad you're tuning in. Those who will listen to this sermon later on as a podcast uh, and to all of you who are here in person. Our scripture lesson today comes to us from Luke chapter 15. It's the story of the prodigal son, and it's one of Jesus' most famous parables. Raise your hand. Have you heard this one before? (laughs) All right. Most of us. Here's the thing. Here's the thing with the scriptures. It's evergreen. There's always something fresh in it that God has for us. Let's listen for what that might be for us today. Listen. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a share of the property that that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare, and here I am dying of hunger? I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be your son. Treat me as one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still a far way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. And bring a ring and put it on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son, elder son, was out in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you, and I've never disobeyed your command, and yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him? Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. 
A couple of weeks ago, I was at a church on a Sunday morning, a Presbyterian church in Lahore, Pakistan. And um, the guest preacher for the morning was an American that I was traveling with, uh, Pastor Sam. And since the congregation there speaks the Urdu language, as Pastor Sam preached his sermon in English, the local Pakistani pastor live simultaneously translated between English into Urdu. And so we were sitting there listening to this sermon, back and forth it would go. And, and I thought Sam preached a great sermon. He made good points. He talked about our visit there in Pakistan, and he didn't go on too long. You know what I mean? But what I noticed was that after every sentence of his in English, as it was translated into Urdu, sometimes the translation would be very short, and sometimes it would be really long. And whenever Sam said something really funny in English, nobody laughed when it was translated into <laughs> Urdu. And so after the service, we were out front of the church greeting people as they came through, and the, the, the Pakistani pastor who had been doing that translation, he, uh, he, he leaned in and he said, I had to make some changes to your sermon. Some of the things you said just wouldn't make sense to our people, but don't worry. I translate it so they could understand. <laughs> and that's something that I love about the Christian gospel, is the way that it can be translated into any language or culture or context. And each of us is able to hear the good news about Jesus in a way that we can understand. Isn't that good news? I want to take up this idea with you today as we consider this parable from Jesus. It's a great story. It's one we've all heard before. It's a picture, a beloved picture about the grace of God which is poured out and given to all of us. So here's the situation. A man has two sons. The younger son comes to his dad and says, Pops, we have to have a talk. It's about financial matters. Because the younger son knows that one day his father will die. And a portion of the property will go to the older son, and a portion of that property will go to the younger son. It's his inheritance. And so he says, rather than waiting for that day when you die and, you, and, I, and I inherit my portion, I want it right now, and I want it all. All that is due to me someday. Dad, I will treat you as if you're already dead. Give me my cut. The younger son wants his financial freedom. He wants to set out on his own. He wants to make his own decisions, make his own way in the world. In doing so, he's asking for this inheritance early, and he is cutting the relational family tie with his father. So the father gives him the money, and the younger son takes it and goes off into the far country where he wastes his money in wild and dissolute living. Eventually, the younger son, he gets into a bad situation there where he ends up hungry. He's far from home. He comes to his senses, and he wants to come home again. And when you think about this part of the story, just this part right now, and what you've heard and what you remember, I wonder how you would answer this question. Why was the younger son hungry? Why would why'd this younger son go hungry when he's in the far country? Before you answer... Listen to this. There's a New Testament uh, Lutheran scholar named Mark Allen Powell, and he asked this question to a diverse group uh, made up of Americans, Russians, and Tanzanians. Americans, Russians. This is not a joke. Americans, Russians, and Tanzanians. There's no, they didn't walk into a bar or anything like that. <laughs> they walked into a Bible study. And um, he asked this question, why did the younger son go hungry? It's a big part of the story. It's a detail we probably all remember. And according to Powell, 100% of the Americans answered 
that this son had gone hungry because he had squandered his inheritance. He'd made bad personal choices, bad financial decisions for himself. That seems pretty clear. But then 84% of the Russians responded and they, when they were asked why was the son hungry, and they said because there was a famine in the land. That's in the story. There was a famine. Why is he so hungry? There's a famine. Everybody was hungry. And you, right now, Russia's in the news, and it's war with Ukraine, and, and so we're thinking a lot about the, the makeup of um, the psyche, the national psyche and character of the Russian people. Why would Russians think this way and see this detail? You don't have to know too much Russian history to realize there have been droughts and famines throughout Russia's history, including in Ukraine. Um, listen, there were famines and, and droughts in Ukraine and Russia in the following years. 1901-1906-1911-1920-1921-1921-1932-1933-1934-1935-1936-1937-1938-1939-1940-1940-1940-1940-1940-1940-1940-1940-1940-1940-1940-1940-1940-1940-1940-1940-1940-1940-1940-1
couple weeks ago, um, during my trip to Pakistan, I was in, um, in a part of the city of Lahore called Yohanabad. Yohanabad, like Johan, like John. It's a part of the city where the Christians live. It's like a little Christian town. And um, we were sitting in the living room of a family there, um, and I'll show you a picture here. And we, we spent about an hour just sitting in this living room, um, having tea and listening to the, to the story of this family. One son, uh, one son who was here, the one with the mask um, sitting there, he's, he's our translator. Um, he was at one of the churches in this neighborhood in 2015 when it was suicide bombed. And he was telling us about that. He was telling us that uh, he was blown over by the blast and he still has PTSD as he thinks back about what he saw that day. So we spent about an hour in this living room um, just hearing about this, this family's story. And then the next picture I'll show you here is um, there's the mom and her two sons. These are her two sons. And the one with the mask on, uh, the older son, he got a scholarship from Foreman Christian College. That's the school I went to visit with when I was, when I was there. And um, he's just getting launched into the world. He's doing great. Um, you could see that. You could see that he's on his way. And then the younger son who's sitting there, he's old enough where he's supposed to be in school by now. He's supposed to be in school. But the family made a communal decision to have him wait so that their younger sister could go to school. And uh, they, they thought that she needed to be educated first, and so they're putting her forward. They said it's important for her to get this chance, that she is gifted academically. They could only support one kid in school at a time, so the other son has to wait his turn. This is a communal culture where something like that is kind of common. You can't all get what you want, how you want it, when you want it. This isn't Burger King. Have it your way. This is a culture where families make decisions together in a communal way, even if it means that one of the sons has to wait a while. So if you go back and read this story in your Bible, it's in Luke chapter 15. You can do that today if you want. You'll see that all three of these responses from the Americans, the Russians, and the Tanzanians about personal choices, about public policy, and about the role of community they're all in the Bible. They're all the right answer, but none of them is complete. All of them are incomplete until they're put in conversation with the others. As we grow up in our own faith and understanding, we also need to grow in a kind of humility that says, I need other voices, other perspectives than just my own to help round out and fill in my understanding of God. Let me give you another example of how that might work, just as we think about this story today. Uh, the prodigal son story is amazing. And some of you, some people in our church, in these pews, will hear the prodigal son story and say, that's my story. I once was lost, and now I'm found. People here who know what it's like to have run off to the far country, messing things up in their lives, losing family relationships, facing financial disaster, feeling cut off like the prodigal son story is their own story. Is that you? But then others of us here in our church, in the same church, will hear this story and will focus on the older brother. You know, he never went off to the far country and wasted his father's mother money. No, he was responsible. He followed the rules. He did everything by the book. He did life the right way. 
went to college, he got a job, he married well, he saved his money, he invested wisely, he rose through the rank, he had a good reputation, unlike that little brother of his. Am I talking about you? Are you talking about me? Some of us resonate with the younger brother. Some of us are more like the older brother. But it turns out that the younger brother is not the only one who's off in a far country. The older brother is too. He's just as much in need of the grace of the father, the forgiveness that the, that the younger son gets. The, the older son needs it too because of his hard heart because of his lack of compassion, because of the grievances he holds on to, his refusal to come inside and join the celebration and the joy of his father, even when his father explicitly told him, this is how I do it. This is who I am. This is how I show my love. Won't you join me too? Or will you stand outside, older brother, in your self-sufficient way and not receive what I am trying to give to you. I guess we're not really talking about money anymore or shares of property or of attention or of who's the better brother or the better sister, who's the better son or the better daughter, who's gone further from home and messed things up the most. I think we're actually talking about who the father is in this story and how the father acts and this one story can speak into all of our lives in different ways depending on our own life history, our own life story. Whether you resonate with the younger brother or the older brother or maybe a hybrid of the two, this is a story about the character of God and who God is. Ernest Hemingway once wrote a short story about a father and a teenage son who were estranged. The son's name was Paco. And he had wronged his father and then run away from home in shame. And the father searched for his son all over Spain. He went looking for his son, Paco. And finally, he was in Madrid, and he decided to make one last-ditch effort to find him. He put an ad in the daily newspaper that said this, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana, noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven, Papa. The father in this story was hoping that his son would see the newspaper ad and would show up at the Hotel Montana. So on Tuesday at noon, the father arrived at the hotel, and he couldn't believe what he saw. There was a whole squadron of police officers there who were trying to maintain order because there were 800 young boys who were there, each of them named Paco. Each of them had seen the article in the newspaper, and they thought it was meant for them that their papa was calling them home. And this is what I want you to hear today, you younger brothers, you Pacos. And this is what I want you to hear today, you older brothers, you sensible sisters. Your papa is calling you home. Your papa is waiting to embrace you with love. Whether you've run off to the far country and you need to be restored, or whether the far country is inside your heart, our Heavenly Father is here with arms wide open to embrace you. In the end of this story, we know that the prodigal son has returned and been restored and a new life is just beginning. But what we don't yet know is how the older brother will respond. Will he come in as well? Will he start over too? Will he accept the grace and love that the Father has 
for him? And will you? I pray it will be so. Amen.